Welcome back, universe. It's the SFBCPC S1. That's an abbreviation for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's app, we'll be talking about iRobot, written by Isaac Asimov in Earth Year 1950. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and joining me as always via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hi, John. Hi. John, um, question for you. Uh, Shoot. Have you ever injured a human being or through inaction allowed a human being to come to harm? Absolutely, yes. Okay. No reason for asking that. Just well. Can I provide a footnote to that? Allowed. Okay. Uh, it was technically a human being, but they were born with a mutation and they had three legs. And so I felt that it was my duty to see them harm. Good clarification. Moving on. Thank uh, you. John. Yep. Okay. Second question. Shoot. <laughs> Not related to the first question, actually. Um uh, you, you know, Dyson does that work of picking out the songs we're going to sing at the beginning of every episode. Yeah, of course. He's almost as good as that at that as he is eating worms. Which he's an expert. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, that song that he gave us this, this episode, uh, there's, there's no words to it, just noises. So does, does that actually count as a song? I, well, I think yes, and... I mean, normally we sing the lyrics um, using our angelic voices, yeah. as everybody who's a listener of the podcast knows. But this time we actually uh, made all of the sounds of the of the song with our voices and other various body parts slapping together. Legs, mostly. Uh, well, for you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, I'm excited about this app uh, because we've got some guests on the pod. Yeah, I was noticing them. Uh, I hope that they notice me because I'm filling the entire room in my gaseous state. That's right. If you wondered what you're breathing, that's a holographic projection. That's me. Uh, hi, strangers. Hello. Hello. Are you, are you one three-headed person or three people? One three-headed person. You, you are? <laughs> yes. I, I can't see very well, but how many total legs do you have? At least six. Oh, my God. Sometimes more. When? We like to wander. Go for a marathon. Interstellar, literally. What? An interstellar marathon? What's that? Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty far distance. Uh, at least a couple light years of uh, running. Because I know about normal marathons, mm-hmm. and if you have six legs, do you have to run a third of the distance only? Nope. They're all attached, so they... <laughs> well, first off, I, I need to say something uh, to, to my new friends. I despise any being that has more or less than two legs, so we're probably not going to get along very well. Surprise! I don't like your scent. Well, you're still breathing me in, so you don't have much of a choice. 
What does the projection smell like exactly? I mean, I don't have nostrils, so I haven't noticed. Is Frito Lay's still uh, still? Oh, that's that's popcorn. <laughs> actually, that's popcorn. That's the buttery holographic what? projection popcorn. Yep. Yeah, that's my spray mist deodorant. It's exactly that scent. Frito Lay is now a deodorant maker in the in the, in your well, not in your future. You guys just walked on off the street. I'm assuming. So yeah, this is your present uh, for the uh, listeners. How'd you get to the pod exactly? Oh, in detail. We were headed to a gas station. A marathon. Uh, in, yeah, exactly. Um, in the middle of our marathon, <laughs> and you know, saw the ship. Thought we might uh, pop in. So hello. Hello. Do you want refreshments or something like orange slices or water? I don't. I mean, I don't. Too bad. Really we don't have that stuff up. <laughs> yeah. All we have are books. Ever heard of it? And space beer. Right. I would I would like space beer, actually. I would take that. Space beer. Here you go. Have a, have a straw with, with three. A, a bendy one? We can probably fashion one. That would be great. I'm actually really confused still about who's here. It's dark. The curtains are closed. I can't really see what's going on. Who, who actually, exactly? my, my one question, yeah. yeah, my one question is, do you guys share one name, being one being, or do you each have your own consciousness, identities, and names? I am my own future woman, which is why we sometimes have more legs. This is my attempt to, you know, assert my individuality, mm-hmm. but, you know. <laughs> that is the problem with kids these days. They just wear <laughs> legs. Like they're fucking accessories. They they kind of are, you know. It lets us in with the with the cool kids, who uh who only have two legs. They're uh they're a little jealous when we have at least eight. Mm-hmm. Sometimes twelve's a little much. If I had corporeal eyes, they would be rolling out of the back of my skull right now. Not into it, universe. I don't have names for anyone. Number three. <laughs> I'm gonna claim number three, guys. I'm number one. Clearly. <laughs> I'll be number two over here. I don't have a name. So then I guess, right? Number three has no name. They are number one. Number one takes over. She, she handles pretty much everything. I was going to say, is like number one, number two, and number three your actual names, and Brent is just a really good guesser? Yes. Definitely. That. He's that cool. Thank I respect you. that. Well, so I have a lot of questions. Are The legs are detachable. I think we've covered. Are you actually conjoined? Are you... Uh... It's not that they're detachable. They just, you know, pop up. And then, like, starfish, you know? Nope. What's that? <laughs> no? Or like a computer screen that has pop-ups. They just show up, and they're all branded individually. Yeah, and they go away. This, this, this is the Frito-Lay's leg. Yeah. Doctors don't want you to know. Exactly. They're also edible. Okay, that I can get the down legs. with. <laughs> Detachable and edible, so if we're ever stranded, can't find a marathon, really hungry, we can eat eat our legs. Are they just, what are those called? Tornados? What are those gross-ass things? <laughs> you can get it a marathon. By gross-ass things, do you mean legs <laughs> that are you know, more than two legs? Is that what you're talking about? It's, basic, it's like a chicken leg, you know, drumstick. <laughs> Drumstick dash. Right into my mouth. I think we solved that. Cleared all my questions up. (sighs) Yep. Well, I think throughout the podcast, you guys should work on a drawing 
that we can post on our uh, tum t or Tumblr page. Dot Tumblr. Dot Tumblr for the universe to, to see what you look like because everybody's curious. I can feel it. And did I actually guess the names right? Are you are you number one, number two, number three, or do you have like nicknames that I should be aware of? Ashley, number one. I'm gonna write this down. Brittany is number two. And then Brianna's number three. Okay. Good nicknames. I like number two though. You prefer number two. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, I prefer number one. Right. Well yeah, if, if those are your birth names, then yeah, you should Yeah. You, write your you name. N O period one. Nice. How about the other spellings of those? Does anybody have just a number sign and then a Hashtag and then a numeral? One. Hashtag one. Hashtag one. No, mine is formatted the same as number twos. Okay. No period. No three. I guess it'll be the same. This is good to know because I, um, based on when we read that Kurt Vonnegut book, I had sort of a weird fetish for the typefaces and type sizes. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is good, good information for me, for sure. And did you say, just to be clear, you were running a marathon when you came here? Yes, we okay. stopped. It's fine, though. We'll be, we'll be fine. Let me splash some Gatorade on your faces. To Thank you yeah. so much. We yeah. do need the electrolytes and whatnot. You're welcome. Lots of electrolytes. You have a granola? Granola bar? Gran I got this granola leg you can have. We don't want that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, thank you. We have our own. Okay. What are they? Did I ask what, they're, what they taste like? Frito-Lays. The legs. No, Frito-Legs. I feel like, for some reason, this episode has a lot of product placement. Are you guys also advertisers or something? I am not. It's a side job. While they're... Okay. Just, just number two. So, so one of you has that job, but two yeah. of you do not. Yeah, I'm a leech essentially. So I respect that. Okay. Carries me everywhere she goes, and I benefit from her hard work. <laughs> we don't like side jobs. I didn't catch the question, so I'm like, mm. do you have a job? Number three? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> is is number two also? Like, I'm having trouble seeing this very well. Is number two also the middle head? Yes. Makes sense. You just count Despite them off down the line. I can see number that. one, she's the most, the predominant, you know, personality. Okay. You're the personality. You... Number, number two's bringing home the bacon with that side job. No, no, I'm not the personality. <laughs> oh. Despite not being number one, number two is actually the personality. That's why I'm He's, you know, winner. Also, KFC. Wait, you work there? Drumsticks. I heard that one. Okay. Popeyes, churches, really any chicken establishment. All those, all those companies are owned by the same like chicken global or super, mega global corporation now. So space conglomerate. Exactly. When you were born, was number one come out first and <laughs> just in order? Just one, two, three. Is that how you got named? Yep, that's that's what we're told. You don't remember? No. You don't I... remember the day of your birth? Everybody these days remembers the day of their birth. Oh. What's the what's the beep? There's something wrong with the pod. I have no idea. I don't know how to work any of this. Steal this shit from someone? <sighs> and this week on the podcast. 
iRobot by Isaac Asimov. Oh. Have you guys read this book? Of course. See, well, first. Number two tried to catch up, failed miserably. Uh, I don't know about number one. She doesn't. Number one failed miserably as well. Number three, though, coming in strong. Is that what I heard? Yeah, finished it. Nice. I was going to say, you guys could have just split up your time and each one read a third of it, but it seems like number (laughs) three is doing all the work. All the work. I mean, she doesn't have a job, though, remember. Right. So I have time. It's a full-time job training and competing in marathons, all right? I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, me neither. It was, was like a waste of time, to be honest. John, was there something you wanted to say about iRobot by Isaac Asimov, published in Earth Year 1950? Well, I, I feel like that's kind of the occasion for this entire thing, so we should probably talk about it at some point. Oh, fair enough. And now it's time for this week's Confession Corner. Uh, uh, can I get you guys all to leave the room? I have uh, a segment I need to record without anybody here. Yeah, we'll just scamper away. Okay. All right, universe. This week on Confession Corner, uh, I have to confess that I have only read about two thirds of this book. Uh, I am, I've, but I do have. Let me shuffle some papers. I do have printed off synopses of the rest of the book that I did not read, um, so I think that's good enough. I hope that nobody in the pod notices that I'm holding papers with my ethereal form. That might chip some people out. Um, hey, can we come back in? Uh, in a minute. This is my segment. Okay. But with that being said, I... Uh, don't really think that I fucked up too bad because we got these six-legged freaks on the ship. We got a seven-legged freak as the host. So why do I have to put in all the work? All right? Um, sorry, universe. Okay, you can come back in. Okay. Thanks, thanks for affording me that moment. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's gross in that hallway. I guess uh, neither of us clean, huh? Yeah, I cannot pick up a broom and dustpan, yeah. which is the most advanced form of cleaning materials that we have in the future, just so you guys know. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to. Does that imply that it's less dirty? Oh, it's dirty as hell. Oh, ew. And hell it's, is filthy. Yes, hell 3.0. We can go there now. All right, so yeah, this book. <laughs> Where are we uh, going to start? Yep, well... I mean, as is I'd our tradition, we could read chapter one, the very page last one. paragraph. <laughs> okay, I'm into that. And then, and then, like as also by tradition, nobody will have to listen beyond that point, and they won't have to read the book. So we really do two services for the uh, the listener out there. One, you get off the hook of having to, you know, listen to this garbage. <laughs> And you also get the luxury of not having to read the book. So you're welcome, universe. We're doing a service. And number one, number two, this is how the book ends. Last sentence, audiobook. I never saw Susan Calvin again. She died last month at the age of 82. The end. Brent, that sounded like two sentences to me. You you called my bluff. Damn it. (laughs) And then I thought that we were getting the last paragraph, and I, I gotta be frank, I'm a little disappointed. Well, I'm a liar. Seven legs. 
So that's, that's, that's yeah. it. So you're welcome, Galaxy. We solved the book for you. Yep, Susan Calvin dies eventually. The point the of podcast. Podcast. You can turn it off. It's fine. We begin and end with Susan. Oh, yeah. You know a lot about how it begins, huh? <laughs> I did read the beginning. Likewise. Well, yeah, actually, I mean, me doing a little research about this book, mm-hmm. uh, when Asimov originally wrote it, it was just uh, a bunch of short stories that he eventually compiled into book form, which is what we read, uh, which we all read 100% of. And <laughs> and then later on, Isaac Asimov added this sort of overarching story or a way to tie the stories together, which was Dr. Susan Calvin, who also plays a role in several of the stories, uh, being interviewed by the sort of unnamed narrator. Um, and that is really, I mean, where we begin and where we get into all of these stories so we basically get through the arc of the book a fairly detailed uh, history of robotics on the planet Earth. Yeah. So even I mean, even though I I did read the last two sentences, it uh, Susan Calvin wasn't exactly. I mean, she was in some of the stories, but I think that 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 framing structure of even like. I'm going to tell you a story, youngsters, um, was mostly just like a framing device and not that essential to the narrative or anything. Right, yeah, each one sort of felt self-contained. And I I feel like by reading this book that Isaac Asimov basically wanted to, so he wrote the three laws of robotics, which somebody else can uh, go over, but he wrote these three laws of robotics and then used the rest of the book uh, all these short stories as a way to kind of test those uh, three laws and how they contradict one another um, in all these different scenarios. And then later, yeah, just kind of tacked on this framing device so that it was sort of interrelated. So is that a distraction for either of you? Because like I didn't, I had like obviously heard of the book, but I didn't realize it was short stories mm-hmm. and like that the... A uh, common thread throughout the stories was an afterthought. So, does this, like, quote unquote, like, afterthought serve as a distraction for you, or do you, like, go out of your way to tie or, like, find interest or, like, significance with that character, the Susan Calvin character? Well, I'll, I'll say partly to answer that. I, I have jokingly, but I think that whenever a book does, I'm pretty sure that The Hobbit does this where it's like narrative, narrative, narrative the whole time. And then at the very end, it's like, and I'm Bilbo Baggins, and that's <laughs> the book I just read. I, I'm not into that. I think it's funny, and every book should end like that. But um, on the other hand, I hate it. I hate that that's a device. In this one, I mean, I, I think that's a good question, though, because I think in this one, it was just kind of like, not it was it was much more unimportant to me i think susan calvin just narrating it to this reporter and because it started and ended that way it certainly wasn't like even her dying there at the end it wasn't like a part of the narrative that i was that invested in and frankly it seemed like a easy way to wrap up a book for isaac asimov so it i don't think that this one distracted me as much as bilbo baggins sorry I ignored it. I didn't. I forgot her name completely until you read that last sentence. I had a hard time keeping pace with that narrative because I was more interested in the short stories themselves rather than the parts that were 
interviewing her. I didn't care about her life or what she had to say. thought it was sort of irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, like, so when she pops up in the first story with the little girl, like, I thought something, like, terrible would have happened that she witnessed, but nothing happened. Like, that she, I don't know. I guess I didn't realize that was what was happening at in the first place anyway because I had I didn't look the book up before I started reading it like I just started reading it but didn't really mm-hmm. feel like it uh I mean I guess it does move the story along and that it's the she's the character that connects all these things but it doesn't really I guess right I I think despite all of that like I kind of agree to, so I read obviously 100% of this book and every um intermediate segment where they're tying two stories together, so it's kind of the Susan Calvin reportage story, I thought were actually the least memorable parts. And they kind of distracted me a little bit because they took me out of where I think the real interest for Asimov was, which was kind of testing these three laws of robotics in these future scenarios, which were incredibly interesting, and I got very invested in the characters contained within those short stories. But then... The uh, Susan Calvin story within or in between those stories maybe wasn't a distraction so much as it didn't hit home to the point that again I, I just don't think it's very memorable. Uh, I definitely remember feeling a certain way in in a lot of the stories, but did not feel any particular affection for her or her story. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say I, I think I agree with that. Although I did think, and probably partly because of her narrative pulling it out of the other short stories that um, even like two of the characters who repeated in a lot of the short stories, I almost couldn't track with, I couldn't remember whose name was who, or like those, those two characters, Mike and Doug or Tom or whatever. Uh, uh, George, Paul, Ringo, and the other one. Yep. The one who's still alive. Oh, yeah, but the other one, whatever. But I, I couldn't even keep track of which one of them was which. Like, one of them had red hair, and one of them didn't. And that's about the only way I could remember, so. Yeah, he did describe that one guy as having red hair a lot, like, very often. Red remember there, there was one line where it's like, and his face was as red as his hair. Okay. <laughs> Great. I think something important to interject at this point, since at least I've mentioned it several times, would be the actual three laws of robotics. Yes, please. That I think Asimov developed in this series of short stories and then became kind of a foundation for some of his later books, I believe, too. But those three laws of robotics, number one, a robot may not injure a human being or, through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey orders given by it, given by a human being, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Rule number three: a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Uh, so that came out pretty early in the series of short stories. And then, like I was saying, I think that the rest of the stories were basically finding scenarios where those three laws would contradict in interesting ways, and that sort of became the foundation for the individual stories. Uh, yeah, so like in the first one where she she finally finds her uh, her robot and then runs to it, but the uh, the other one... Can you hear me? It's a little gravelly. Yeah. 
you guys need to drink some water or something. You ran that marathon. Obviously, you probably got a lot of, you know, not a lot of saliva in your mouth. Have some space beer or some Corellan sweet tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy, in case you guys didn't know. And we're back. All right. Sorry. Since you can't hear me, I'll try to figure out another way to communicate. So give me a second. With song. <laughs> Um, so, when she, uh, they take her to the, uh, what was it, like a factory or something, where they're, the robots are producing something? Sure. some kind but of robot she factory. Finds, she finds the robot that her parents took away from her, and she just runs to it without, like, any kind of, um, and then she almost gets, like, crushed by one, doesn't she, at some point? So, I guess that would be, like, the first, uh, instance of... The first law of robotics in action? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. or not, almost not in action. But yeah, I think that, that was a good story to kind of set up, because one of kind of the overarching, something else in the book that is overarching, like theme is humanity's reluctance to accept robots. Yeah. And that was the first one where this, yeah, Robbie was the name of the robot that was the kind of nanny for this young girl and you know she loved the robot but her mom who did not grow up in a in a world where robots uh did this sort of thing she was you know very uh upset that her daughter wasn't interacting with any of the kids at her school or anything she just wanted to spend all of her time with Robbie this robot but by the end of that Robbie yeah saves this young child and that's the first sense that there's going to be kind of an overall shift in the world's attitude towards robots. Like, if they're programmed with these laws, they're not going to harm us. They're actually going to save us from harm more often than not. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually, just in that introduction, I guess, which is with that Susan Calvin and the interviewer, and really seems like what was written, just to give the book a context, like we were saying, Susan Calvin says to that guy that you don't you don't remember a world without robots do you and she says specifically there was a time when humanity faced the universe alone and without a friend the friend being robots i I was thinking a lot about the way in which robots are introduced to the world here because that's the first example and the mom character in that is not into it she's not digging it because it has no soul. She doesn't want her little daughter playing with it. Um, but I was thinking a lot, uh, John, about do androids dream of electric sheep and trying to remember exactly that relationship with robots. So that that was the very first book that we podcasted, actually. And that's the book that Blade Runner was based on, if you've happened to see that film. Um, and then and that one, gosh, I can't remember exactly. There's a few – oh, I guess the similarity is that robots have been banished to off-Earth in both. Um, so robots have been allowed to exist as long as they don't exist on Earth. And so in Blade Runner, for instance, any of those robots who are on Earth have to get killed. And, on, and in this one, there wasn't that sense, but part of the deal with robots is – we will have robots, but we don't want them. It's not in my backyard, but on a planetary scale. Which is interesting because they're like products of like people. Like they're just very personalized machines, right? 
Yeah, more so, or less. Like, I guess it's just interesting that, like, despite the fact that they deny that they have, like, souls, they do kind of take on an identity that, like, humanity is, like, not sure about. And so, I guess it's, I don't know, it's just weird. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the, uh, I think the slight difference, at least for the majority of this book versus Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, is that in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the androids always have sort of looked like humans, and the robots obviously have some human similarities. Uh, thankfully, they have two legs, just like humans, throughout their entire history, but it's not until the very, like, later stories where there becomes someone who is trying to take a leadership role in society and actually looks, well, it's never really said specifically, but there's someone who is kind of the perfect candidate for political office, and certain people think that he is a robot, just a very a humanoid robot that looks like a human also, and they are, have not been able to test him successfully to determine whether he is or isn't, but... Then Susan Calvin says that she hopes that he is a robot or was a robot because she thinks that robots would make a lot better decisions than humans. And that becomes actually kind of an interesting theme throughout the, the whole book, too. That's like kind of where the arc is leading is, would robots take, do a better job of leading our society than we would? So it goes from like this being scared of them at all to... Maybe we should give up some control to them because we're obviously kind of fucking it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that chapter that you're talking about with Stephen Byerly, who is the political candidate run for office, his opponent accuses him of being a robot, and then they go about setting to prove or disprove that. Number one, did you get to that chapter? I did not. Number two, did you get to that chapter? What is the title of that chapter? Evidence. I didn't. Uh, number three. Same question. I mean, I read the whole book, but <laughs> to remember is a good thing. <laughs> All right. Read the last and number three is the winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you want to read? Mean, you get what? a lifetime supply of Carolyn sweet tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. <laughs> Sip. And, and we're back. back. So I imagine, like, in building robots, you equip them with, like, the best. So, I mean, is Susan, like, do you think she's wrong in wanting that? Like, hoping that he is a robot? I, I, don't, I, mean, think that, I don't think so at all. Um, it's actually, but, but I think that is kind of the important sort of moral question addressed by all of these stories is would be, would giving up, humanity's sort of real role in determining the fate of their existence, is that more important than them actually surviving? Because based on what human humanity's actions have been, they're probably not on the most correct path overall. Yeah. And, and even if they are or they will get there eventually, robots are just much more efficient at these sort of things and so we'll get them there quicker, safer, easier less bloodshed, less toil and strife. And that's actually a theme that's been in a lot of the books we've read recently is if humans are not the best uh, people to take their own destiny in their hands, is it you know is it worth ceding control for them to survive, succeed, thrive, whatever you however you want to call it. So I don't know. Yeah, I think specifically in that chapter, 
they don't know if he is or isn't a robot, and they bring in I Susan thought, Calvin to try to prove it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought they found out he wasn't based off of an emotional response he gave off. Yeah, he punches a dude. Was... Oh. Yeah. But that was my thing of them finding out that he was human. But they said that there could be no evidence of whether he was or not, and that it shouldn't matter because he was good at his job. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I think that I'm reading a little bit about the technophobia and how Asimov has tried to um, provide examples like contrary to that, which is sort of weird if you think about how the story was adapted or the stories were adapted into the movie. But I think people are afraid that if they relinquish control, that it's not going to be for their benefit. It's going to be more like enslavement. And that's not really like a good alternative to just dying at your own destruction. Right. Yeah, that, that is, again, and that's the thing is like there's no way for humans to recognize like that robots, if they are in control, that they're making the best decisions, even if what the decisions they're making in the immediate seem like the correct ones to ensure humanity's survival. So that's kind of the question. It's like, it's not just if you can see into the future and recognize that in, let's say, five years, everything is going to be great, we're going to live in a perfect society that robots will get us to, or we could spend you know, 5,000 years killing each other until we get there from humans' point of view... In hindsight, obviously the easy choice is to cede some control of the operations to robots, but there's no way to to see that out besides, you know, sort of going down one path or the other. But then it's like, it's I think it's scary because their programming determines what their course of action is. There is. So if they have to follow the three laws, then whatever they have to do that you know, coincides with those laws, that's what they do. There is no question of, like, is it fair? Or there's there really isn't a morality there at all. And so I think that's where it, it gets a little fishy is because they, they could be making decisions that, like you said, are good for humanity at the time, but it's not really considering all of these other things over here because it's not in their programming. And actually, and through the book, you know, I think um, because it kind of charts this, like, history of robotics and how those robots uh, are modified, I was going to say evolve, but that's a different science fiction universe. Uh, but um, so to get to the very last chapter in which there's these, they don't even call them robots at that point, they call them, like, the machines that are essentially running global economics but they've even made this jump to say, like, well, it's that first law where you can't harm a human being. It's sort of made a jump to, like, well, you can't harm humanity as a whole. But so in order for that to be true, you can let maybe some people die over here um, so that, like, over here people are, like, are okay or for the greater good or whatever. So yeah, it gets super complicated, especially by the end, about what's what's okay and like on what scale, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think the book does a good job if you since we, you know, it is compiled into one volume, we're reading it as an overall story. 
something that at least the pacing of this story being placed here before this one makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of I can sort of understand humanity's overall reasoning, like why at all the points along the way they'd be scared for whatever the next step is going to be. So like one of the stories that I liked, one of the chapters I guess I liked the most in this book was the one, I think it was called Reason, where these two uh, humans are on this spaceship essentially and they're training a robot to do their job so that humans don't have to go to the space stations anymore and one of the robots doesn't understand where he came from, and he, using his reason, decides that the machine that he's powering, essentially, that he's been trained to take care of is his deity, and so everything has to be for the deity's benefit. Those two humans leave that spaceship, and they tell the robot, we're leaving, we're going to our next assignment, but he says, I'm glad that you can believe that, and essentially says, like, you're going to die, because anything that's not this spaceship and this machine, I cannot believe that it exists. So it's like a, a Descartes thing, like, I think, therefore I am, and any only the things that I can reason to be true are true. So that was a really interesting point of, like, getting sucked into the dogma of this thinking, reasoning robot versus what humans know to be true from their greater experience, but maybe not quite so sharp uh, brains using like deduction and reason and all that. So that was, for me, one of the most interesting like enveloping stories that I really, yeah, I was like, I wanted to punch that robot in the face. Like, what are you thinking? Come on. Like, I really yeah, was behind those two characters for sure in that moment. John, have you ever injured a robot or through inaction allowed a robot to come to harm? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, me too. I hate those guys. Yeah, I mean, any of the ones that have, again, more or less than two legs, my ethereal form, the sort of mist that I am, actually, yeah, really, really fucks with, with robots if I seep into their... Uh, their innards often, so all the three, three plus and one minus legged robots for sure. Like Baldroid in Star Wars, mm-hmm. not a fan. Fuck with them all day long. Well, uh, uh, in that chapter that you were talking about, I agree. I thought that was really a great chapter because the first robot that has self awareness and asks, like, where do I come from? Who am I? How did I get here? Questions that are associated with human beings a lot more than any other species. And then you get the scene where this robot, uh, Cutie, QT1, uh, says that the this machine, this L-tube that he has to keep functioning is his deity and Cutie is his prophet. And so the the basis, though, for his understanding, as you were saying, was this like line of reasoning kind of logic. He says to one of those guys, men, it's audiobook. Uh-huh. Audiobook. Also a quick aside, cutie is such a perfect name for a character to hate. Yeah. Great. He's, he's arguing with Powell. Cutie says, audiobook. I'm going to waste my time trying to pin physical interpretations upon every optical illusion of our instruments. Since when is the evidence of our senses any match for the clear light of rigid reason? And I I marked that spot in particular, John, because when we just read The Restaurant at the End of the Universe 
and we had the ruler of the universe. So one, two, numbers one, number two, number three. We read this book had a character called the ruler of the universe, and it was like a guy who lived in a shack by himself, and essentially his entire reality was phenomenological of like what what he could just like look at or see kind of within his very immediate surroundings so very tactile like way of experiencing reality and then john i was just thinking that like cutie is almost exactly the opposite of that where it's a similar like line of questioning as to what's what's reality essentially but from his cutie's perspective you could say by this line of strict logical facts that he can perceive it's completely the opposite of the human observation on this end and completely the opposite of how that ruler of the universe would determine reality anyway yeah that uh that robot became cutie became like entrenched and in, in indoctr- indoctrinated into his own line of reasoning so then at that point quit thinking being a rational being on some level and the ruler of the universe in the Douglas Adams book, he constantly was just looking at the stuff around him and trying to figure it out, exploring it, continuing to question, wonder, has so much curiosity. I, th- I think he said, he said something like he tried to learn about his table for like weeks at a time or something. So, yeah, I, I believe, yeah, for sure. They start from a similar place, but yeah, where they continue going um, is totally different, I agree. But then it does get to a point when those two humans are talking and the one is probably the fiery redhead is just like, uh, mm-hmm. we, we can't believe that this robot thinks he's a prophet, whatever, whatever. And the other one says like, yeah, but can he do his job based on that belief, like based on that set of facts? And the other one says, yeah. And so other guy says like, so what does it matter what he believes if the outcome essentially is exactly the same or or better in fact because he's a robot we nailed it we're gonna end the podcast here as well i think we can another good good ending point huh (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right galaxy you can just turn your headphones off now and uh get back to your productive fruitful loving family uh prosperous all the positive adjectives you can think of lives tall Slender, long flowing hair, two legs, obviously. Great job. You have a dog that loves you unconditionally. You have a family that loves you unconditionally. You have a boss who loves you unconditionally, which gets a little creepy, but you're cool with it because, you know, he's still a good boss, etc., etc. You're really putting things in perspective, John. Thanks. That was my love corner. I forgot to provide any sound effect for that bit. There it was. Uh, what do you guys think about robots killing people? It's terrible. Wait, which people? What kinds of people? Um, oh, the plot good, thickens. Good people. That is a very good question. I mean, is it sort of happening now with drones? Ooh, talk about that. Oh no. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't really yes. like read anything in depth, which is. I mean, probably irresponsible on my part, but I don't know. Like, I I have, like, seen a lot of things where people will be, like, up in arms about um, 
stuff that isn't happening here, but is happening in other countries. You know, we don't. It's out of sight, and out of mind. I guess for most of us. But um, so, like, yeah. uh, recently I saw something. There was this kid. He said, um, and I, he they went to the beach, and his friends were like. So there was like a bomb dropped, and his friends died there. So his perspective on like something is like. Something that has generally has a positive connotation for us, like for him, is like ruined. And, he can't. and then I've I've seen something else where another kid was like, well, you know, if the sky is gray, then the drones can't fly. And so we hope that the sky is gray. Like we don't ever want to see the sun. Like I don't know. For me, like being that like that's my point of reference right now. I think it's I'm not excited about that. Yeah, so by the beach, you mean the space beach here in the center of the galaxy? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, it's true. I mean, that that place has kind of been ruined for me from all those Amazon.com 3.0 drones flying there all the time. People ordering bombs via those drones and then them getting delivered and they go off and it's a real, real mess. So I co-sign everything you said. What about you, two and three? I already said, I don't know, I don't think I said anything definitive. <laughs> yeah, you just challenged my question. I don't I don't think anyone should have to die. Um, robots shouldn't be killers, humans shouldn't be killers. Why are the robots killing the humans? Good humans? Probably because they have too many or too few legs. If I had my way. Can't we just kill the robots? I mean, that's not as bad, right? That's like disassembling your microphone, your fancy microphone, kind of. And then she wanted to kill your microphone, who is a sentient being. His name is Henry, and he is delightful. Mm-hmm. We hang out. But Obviously. if Henry were trying to kill me, I would put him in water. Henry so loves do water. Any, do any of you think that, like, at some point, I guess based on the three laws of robotics, like, it would get to a point where robots... Uh, I don't know if realize is the right word if they're machines, but um, that they weren't good for humanity if they started uh, making decisions that were counterproductive, that they would destroy themselves? That's a good question. There, There is one um, robot in this book that self-destructs based on those laws. I mean, as, as John was saying, I think a lot of these short stories are reasons for Isaac Asimov to test out those three laws. The one that self-destructs is essentially telepathic and so it knows what people are thinking and what they want to hear the liar one yes did you read that number two i showed it yep so and and susan calvin realizes that he or the it robot can can do that and she starts asking a line of questions the answer of which would hurt the feelings of these two other doctors and and so the robot like refuses to answer and gets stuck in this like infinite loop of i i know the answer i can't betray the first law etc cetera, etc cetera, and shuts down and it's brain fries yeah there's two at that point there's two different sort of parties in the room and each of them have like desire and answer but one of them, for one of them, it would make them happy, so not getting the answer would sort of injure them, quote-unquote. And for the other two the other two guys in the room, it would, getting the answer would injure them. So, so yeah, then this robot gets, again, stuck in this sort of infinite loop and cannot 
provide or not provide an answer, therefore goes kind of insane, which is interesting to think about, an artificial intelligence going insane. One of the spaceships near nearby us just took off, it sounded like. you got to find a quieter parking lot, probably. But first, I would have to learn how to fly a spaceship, which I don't know how to do. Yeah, we're lucky that this is a free parking lot to park in. Otherwise, we'd be racking up some massive bills. You never answered my question. Did you steal the spacecraft? We found it, oh. in fact. The story behind that. Okay. And now it's time for my axe to grind. Uh, this week on my axe to grind, I'm going to talk about people pursuing lines of questioning that I don't want to answer. Isn't that isn't that the worst, guys? Yes. You, you guys all know what I'm talking about, Galaxy. Uh, thanks. See you later. And that was this week's Axe to Grind. Thanks for your Axe to Grind, John. I was getting a little nervous. We were yeah, going to run out. It wasn't related to anything we were talking about. I just, it just really, I don't know, I was thinking about it, came up, so, you know. Clearly not. And since we weren't talking about anything at all before that segment, I'd like to talk about how in this book, um, Isaac Asimov has the, this in-universe, like, uh, it's not profanity, but it's it's the excuse for profanity, so... You've got those two characters, Donovan and uh, the other one, Redhead. And constantly, whenever anything goes wrong or surprises them, they're like, Jumpin' Jupiter! Uh, well, great galaxy! Smokin' Saturn! Anyway, it's good. It's good stuff. I'm going to adopt it as a practice. I think we should. You m- mother Jupiters! Exactly. Love it. I can't. I'm not angry about anything. I already had my axe to grind corner, so I don't have any really good excuse for using profanity right now. But if I would, I'd be jumping Jupiters all over this B. Yeah. B for. Uh, I'm working on it. Pluto, the ninth, the ninth planet Bluto. in the solar system. Sorry, 900 years ago in our past, they changed the name of Pluto to Pluto so that they can bring it back into the nine planets. And, but then people are really upset about that, so it becomes, yeah, actually the worst term that you can call anybody in, like, 200 years from your time. Sorry, I know we promised no spoilers in your timeline, but that seemed important. Well, I, I think that where this book starts to go, and, and what Asimov really does with it, is to set up situations where the laws can almost be broken or ways around it. So we get some robots who have modified first laws, so they can't directly injure a human being. But, for instance, if a human being is working in a dangerous situation, but say they could tolerate it for 30 minutes, the robot with the first law would immediately like pull that human out of that situation. But if the human needed to stay in that dangerous situation for so long, the robot would let it. Where that comes back into play is that um, at some point one of the characters says, well, the way that a robot could use that to effectively kill a human being is like you could push a rock off a cliff Looney Tunes style and there could be a human at the bottom and the robot would know that like theoretically it could stop that boulder and save that human. But with this modified first rule, it could just push the rock off, and then at that point, gravity is in control, 
and so it doesn't have to save it. Um, and so theoretically, this is how a, a robot could kill a human. And we never really get to that point that where the, where the last chapter ends with these machines running the entire world. And so it's sort of like a gentle singularity, a very gentle robot takeover, which is pretty different than a lot of other science fiction where the robots attack. Yeah, at that point at the end, it, they just kind of treat humanity like domesticated pets. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a similar relationship where you know what's best for them despite their protests sometimes, and therefore you do not let them injure themselves. You not necessarily have a stake. We well, do have a stake in their survival, and you have this sort of endearing relationship with them. But, but yeah, you, again, make decisions for them, and whenever they you know, try and go hurt themselves, you stop them still, but you still keep them around because for whatever reason. Well, in this case, because of the first law of robotics. So so that's what you have to look forward to, humanity, being a bunch of pets. At least it's not to monkeys. Are you nervous about monkeys taking over? Mm-hmm. Which actually does happen on Earth. That's in one different... thing. Yeah, not, yeah, it, it, sorry for the spoilers, Earth, but 300 years, that'll happen. After the whole Bluto thing, then monkeys take over. Look forward to it. Man, I've had a lot of spoilers tonight. I feel pretty bad about it. Well, good thing that everybody will quit listening when we the first time we say, hey, you can quit listening now. Or if that first time we told them to stop listening didn't work, the second time we told them to stop listening hopefully will. For sure. Before all of my spoilers, can we actually just go back in and edit us saying you should quit listening at this point too? So we just keep it rolling? Yeah, do you want to hit the rewind button? And uh, listener, stop listening right now. That's all. All right, bye. See ya. One rap verse in the universe. That was it. See ya. Bye. Kind of rhymed. And we're back. Here's one. Actually, my axe to grind for this week should have probably been the fact that Dyson wasn't here to do his famous segment, Seven Worms for Dyson, in which he eats seven rare and exotic worms from around the galaxy. Or his segment, Dyson's Karaoke Corner. Or his segment, Dyson's Question Master Corner. Or do you, do you want to start a new segment, which is Dyson's Fan Mail Bag, where we just open and read pieces of Dyson's fan mail? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I got one right here. Okay. All right. Why'd you tear it in half before you started to read it? I had a pull tab on it. I collect those. Gotcha. Dear Dyson... I've been listening to your podcast since uh, it started. Even on the first episode, I knew that those two dumb hosts would eventually give it over to you and let you host every episode. That seems – I don't know how they could have known that. Spoilers. Uh, I wish, though, that you would just hurry up and and kill them off and – uh, feed them through the airlock out into the painful space death. Please sign the photograph I included in this letter and send it back to me. That's a nice photograph. What is that? Just a bunch of pile of worms? Yeah, where'd they get this? I don't know. Some nice fan art. Polaroid 3.0. I love you. Your biggest fan, uh, Mr... S. Is that how that was spelled? Like, uh, uh, Mr. S? Yeah. 
I don't know if E's and H's before it. I don't know if I got the inflection right. Yeah, I think you pronounced it right. I think you nailed it. What do you think about this death by airlock part? I think that was addressed to you and me. I'm already a gaseous form. It'll be fine. I mean, my matter will disperse evenly in the container that I'm in, Mm -hmm. but that'll be fine. I'll just get to see more of the universe. Yeah, I mean, what they don't realize is I can just upload my consciousness to a new form anyway, too, so jokes on Mr... Uh, Mr. S. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So, number one, do you want to read the next piece of mail there? I can't read, so. <laughs> All right. Num- number yeah. two, you ready to read that next piece of mail there? Dear Dyson. <laughs> Why are you reading it? Is it number two going to read it? Oh, no. Oh, I thought no, you meant, Brent can read number I thought you two. meant letter number two. Number two? No, number <laughs> two. I wave my, uh, my number two slot. So who who okay. takes it up? Okay, I'm really up the street or something. There. Number two, let's let's read it at exactly the same time. <laughs> you start. Okay, but you have to start. Okay, you just say the words exactly with me on the page. Dear <laughs> Dyson, <laughs> I love you. Your, you. <laughs> I want to your podcast. Will you escape? I don't think this is working. Okay, I'll read. I'll read the rest. It's hard to hold it around number one so that you can see it. Yeah. I This is my bad eye, too. So. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I love listening to your podcasts. Do you think that it's fair that Brent and John keep you locked up in a time cage 23 <laughs> hours of the day and only let you out for that one little hour where they make you eat worms? That seems like a, a asshole thing to do. Love, Mrs. S. Another one of those uh, uh, names. Yeah, I think they're related. Error, <laughs> Mr. S, and Error, Mrs. S. Yeah, I wonder what part of the galaxy that is. I don't know. Uh, number three, you can read a letter. Number three, yeah, you want to read a letter? yeah, get out of the way. Number two, um, w- wait, what is what is is it, what is he or she? Did you say it was he? Dyson. Dyson, Dyson is a uh, our favorite. He's a teammate. human from 1980s China that oh, cool. he got into a time machine and then has joined us on the pod. And we don't want him to go back uh, because we like having him around, so we keep him in a time cage, which and is he basically something that keeps him here. Yeah, he loves it. That's what nobody realizes. He loves eating worms. He loves the time cage. He loves us. He loves fan mail. He loves that we don't get any fan mail, which is kind of a dick move on his part. But that's just Dyson, favorite teammate. <laughs> um, Here, I'll hand it okay. over to you. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. Dear Dyson, we should hear you more often. Oh. That was him shaking was that his him? time cage. <laughs> Did you hear that? 
Yeah, that's him trying to rattle at the bars of his time cage so he can get out. <laughs> See? Is that, is that, is that all the letter says? Yeah, it was... It was Short and sweet. fan telling him he should um, talk more. Yeah, Dyson, why don't you speak up more? Yeah, Dyson. The universe <laughs> wants to hear you. Right, well, yeah, so I'll, get, I'll just open up one, another one of these. Okay. Yeah. All right, this is just a picture of some guy's butt. <laughs> oh, butt pics. So. Can you... Uh... Can you show us? Yeah, we like we like to see that very much. Yeah, check check it out. It's a it's a nice size butt. You think so? It's perfect size. It's actually the exact same size as Dyson's butt. I've seen it. <laughs> it's actually oh, a photocopy that, that Dyson made. <laughs> he said he's is he sending himself fan mail <laughs> of his own is of his own a, butt? Is there a photocopier in his cage? Oh, yeah, that is where I left that photocopier. That's the thing Why people also don't realize. The time cage is fucking spacious. Yeah. There's a desk, a computer, mm-hmm. photocopier. Yeah, like all sorts a of files machine. and file cabinets, bookcases. He probably has a bendy straw, too. White out. He's got all sorts of shit in there. There's actually yeah, so also. much like, storage. <laughs> yeah, there's so much shit in there, actually. There's not <laughs> barely any room for him, but... <laughs> There's a lot of room in the time cage. So did he bring it's this with him? No, we we had this on the pod so that we can keep him here. No, did he bring this stuff with him or you provided it? It was in the or... time cage already. The only oh, thing okay. we provide him with is it's worms food. to eat. Worms. worms. Yeah. So worms. We feed Seven worms, worms every week. Carol and So what does he drink? Tea. Oh, it's, sweet tea. It's sweet. genius. We feed the drink Carol and sweet tea. To the worms, and we feed the worms to Dyson. And he enjoys it all. Yeah, he, he loves it. Loves all the it. comforts of home, right? He, well, he also gets so like he doesn't just have to drink the sweet tea that the worms have previously ingested. Usually, one of the worms he can kind of bite the both ends off and use it as a straw. <laughs> so then we give him a cup of the sweet tea, and he drinks it out of that. And we let so... and make him do research, and we let him out and sing karaoke with us whenever he wants to. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, that's what that fan mail was for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he gets more fan mail than both of us combined. Mm-hmm. And actually, we have not gotten any fan mail so far, so it's pretty easy to, to, be, to beat that. But there's just bags and bags of fan <laughs> mail for him. Yeah. I'll read another one. Okay. Because the last one didn't have any text on it, so. Dearest Dyson, I'm your mom from 900 years ago in your now past... You're my favorite teammate. You don't know how to tie your shoes yet, which you should do that because I don't want you to trip on your journey to the future. I packed a lunch for you. It's Lunchables, but I also stuffed worms in there because I know how much you like them. I hope that someday you find a time and space that works for you because we're fucking sick of you. Wow. I got a little dark... Just kidding. Haha. Ha. Love you. Mom and dad and all of your brothers and sisters and all of the other teammates and everybody else in the whole wide world, including God and Jesus. XOXO. Dyson. <laughs> Mrs. Dyson. <laughs> that was a really weird last name. It had all those like stuttering vowels and shit in it. Really but sweet. I, not, not, no offense, <laughs> Mrs. Dyson. Yeah, that was that was a nice one. It was. I don't know how she got it's it. Very sincere. 
900 years into the future, but... Yeah, yes. how'd, she, how'd she know you were parked in the parking lot? A, mo- a mother always knows. <laughs> this is true. All right, so what? Where are we? Where are we going now? How, what's What's next? What we have not have we tour, tackled in this book? Hmm? We should have a tour of the spaceship. Yeah, we don't even know how long you guys have been on here. We'll do that after the podcast. Mm-hmm. All I know <laughs> is time cage is spacious. Yeah, it's yeah, hella spacious. Also, the floor of your spaceship feels. Kind of nice. It's it's like shag carpet, right? It's just filth and trash. (laughs) Yeah. It's soft filth. Very comfy, comfy filth. Glad you guys like it. That's that's what we want to be known for in your in uh, 900 years in the past for having a lot of comfy filth. Kind of what we're all about here. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That's what I always say. You do always say that. Reduce, reuse, recycle. So then, where does it go? How does it leave the spaceship? How does what leave the spaceship? The recycled items. You're oh, we just by recycling them. Yeah, by recycling them, we mean we like eat stuff and open the packaging and just drop it on the floor, and then it becomes like a shag carpet, carpet. basically. Yeah, it's upcycling. You turn your trash into a mattress. Got you. Free Tra- trash tris. Trash It's like furniture, but from trash. Exactly. That's branded. This is this is this whole thing's been an advertisement to get up to that point. We can talk about our new line of trash furniture. Mm-hmm. Trash furniture. And we're back. <laughs> uh, and now it's time for your listener challenge. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hi, universe. Welcome to this week's listener challenge. As we all know, it's your favorite number-based trivia game that nobody ever wins. On this week's listener challenge, on page one of this book, or of the uh, chapter Robbie, Gloria is playing hide and seek. She counts down, or counts up, rather, uh, from 98 up to 100. Your listener challenge is what three numbers does she say from 98 to 100? Uh, the answer is 98, 99, 100. Uh, so if you can call in, fax, send a, send somebody else besides Dyson fan mail for once, please, and uh, contest that that is not the numbers that Gloria counts up to and from, then uh, please do so, and you'll win a fantastic prize package from Carol and Sweet Tea, sweetest tea in the galaxy, and trash to cheer. Yeah, we'll send you some it's, new trash to cheer. It's trash and furniture. Yeah, we're looking at you, Mrs. <laughs> S. And this is ha 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 Dyson. All right, and that was this week's listener challenge. Thanks, John. I was kind of waiting on that listener challenge as a cue to, <laughs> to keep yep, this podcast got it right at the end. The tracks. Yeah, I was counting up the whole time from one up to one hundred, and it took me that long to get there. And then the listener head. challenge happened. So, well, okay. Since you did that listener challenge, Sean, that was really yep. the cue I've been waiting for. Um, I, I got through everything, literally everything I wanted to say. Sweet. I don't know about the All rest right, of so you. let's wrap this thing out, huh? Ready to wrap this thing out? Number one, number two, number three. Anything else to get in about iRobot? Let's read more about robots. That's right. Uh, there is a movie also called iRobot which I hope that you're all, well, you're all, 
you are invited to come back and watch <laughs> that and uh, talk about that with us as well. So hopefully we'll get to that real soon. Uh, Sounds good. Okay. With that, we have only only one more thing to do on the podcast, and that is wrapping this thing out. So, John? I'll start, but if you want to jump in, I can also be a hype man. Yo, 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 yo. I robot. I do not. I care, but I love, but yo, 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 first law of robotics. Second law. Yep. What's the second law? <laughs> yep. yep. Do not kill a human being. Do not kill things with feelings. I'm a robot. I have no soul. No soul but no soul but Jump a Jupiter Freaking Asteroid Great Galaxy Blow and Bluto Jump and Bluto It's the truth though don't hurt the humans. Don't hurt the humans, but why? I'll take my robots to the sky. We're not allowed on the planet Earth, even though it's human birth. That's right. We're robots, and we came from people. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Humans made us. Humans hate us. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> Human hate. Humans hate us. Humans mate us. Humans wanna lick and date us. Licking comes first. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the universe. I got three laws. One, two, three. They got three heads. One, two, three. I'm staring at them. They staring at me. They got six legs. Now seven. Now eight. Give me something to hate. Only like two. That's a pair for me and for you. Bye. See ya. Hey, universe. John and I were just throwing all of our trash on the floor here and realized we forgot to do our favorite segment here on the pod. Rating system. Take a look. It's in a book. Rating systems. Uh, hi. Uh, I think this is usually my thing, so welcome to Rating Systems. I'm uh, your favorite holographic projection, the co-host with the co-most, John Love. And with me, as always, Brent Aldrich. Hi, Brent. Hi, John. Uh, so, yeah, this week uh, we actually have three absentee uh, ratings from our... Um, well, I guess one guest who's yeah. three heads and who knows how many legs? Pretty sure. Many, like, really God-forsaken with, legs. With that visitor. 
Yeah. So their their ratings. Um, but do you want to do you want to go first? You want to do some of their ratings? Actually, let's do. You can do number one. I'll do number two, and then we'll say number three at the same time. Same time. Okay. Um, well, let me just open up the ballot. Uh, from number one, the rating for iRobot. Oh, this is weird. One. Oh, that's all it says. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, I'll open up number two here. Uh, looks like we got uh, two, but it's T O O. Oh. So I don't know. Maybe it's like one also. also. Okay. Cosine. I don't know. All right. I guess so. Let's, here we go. Let's okay, number three at the same time. One side of this envelope. I'll grab the other and let's open it up. All right. Um, uh, let, let dice eat three extra worms. worms. Oh, interesting. Huh. interesting. Let, let dice eat three extra worms. Yeah. All right. They had some, yeah, it seems like they had some kind of themed... Themed on their their names, their their birth names. I'm glad I don't have such a formulaic uh, way of rating my books. <laughs> That'd be absurd. Anyways, really. yeah, exactly. So yeah, how would you think of this book? Well, I I really like this book, and um, I have not had a consistent rating system other than internal to the series of books that we've been ra- reading and rating. Right. So I guess, boy, I'm gonna rate this one. Four. Good. I like that. Thanks. So yeah, like like I said, I don't ever have any um, system for doing going about this. Every time is totally unique. Um, but I'm going to go cool. with five legs out of two legs. It was pretty good. Wow. I'm not. By the way, I'm not going to qualify if that's m- better or worse than. Four out of two, a five legger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real. This book was a real five legger. I thought, mm-hmm. so that's what I'm sticking with. Uh, and that's been rating systems. Take a look or rate a book. Rating, rating systems. systems. Welcome back to the SFBCPC. S1AD. That's an abbreviation for the Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1, After Dark. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and joining me as always is John Love. Hi, John. Hello. How are you, John? Did my, did my voice sound sultry right there or just kind of stupid and creepy? It was sultry as hell. I'm going for kind of the right. thing on... Yeah, baby. AD. Let me tell you about iRobot in AD. Let me tell you about that first law of robotics, baby. I'm going to tell you about it all night long. A robot may not injure a human being. True. A robot must obey all the orders given to it by a human being, baby. I'm going to be your human dominatrix. So, John, what's the th- what's the third law of robotics? Can you go back to that? 
a robot must protect its own existence except at the expense of the first or second law. Watch me protect my existence. Oh, yeah, protect that existence. I'm going to protect it all night long unless it contradicts the first or second laws. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the SFBCPC Sexy Podcast. Hey, I'm your seven-legged sexy host. And joining me as always, ooh, it's a holographic projection. John Love. Yeah, I'm in gaseous form, so I'm filling your lungs and all your orifices right now. Ooh, yeah. Things get sexy on the pod after dark. Once they turn the lights off in this parking lot, we get crazy. Crazy, baby. Our voices get all smoky and shit. Smoky like my whole body. Ooh, yeah, I'm just sitting here sipping on some fancy space cocktails. It's just Corellin sweet tea with a little bit of vodka. Shaking, baby. Mine, mine stirred. I stirred mine. Ooh, okay. All right, then. The first rule of SFBCPC after dark is you have to have very similar cocktails that are prepared in a slightly different way. Yeah, the second law of SFBCPC after dark is ball is life. The third law of SFBCPC after dark is make your voice extra sexy unless it contradicts the first or second law. Ooh, yeah. The fourth law of SFBCPC after dark. It's make sure it's real dark out. Yeah. Yeah. The fifth day of Christmas. My true love kid. Cut it. Rewind button. The fifth day of SFBCPC after dark Christmas. My true love gave to me all seven of suit of Dyson's worms that he was supposed to eat, but he's my secret Santa, so he gave them to me, and I ate them right in front of him, and he didn't get to eat dinner that day. Ooh, yeah. It's a sexy SFBC Christmas special. Ooh, yeah. Is that the ghost of Jacob Marley? No, it's just a holographic projection of him. Hi, Jacob Marley. Yellow. Yo, what are you going to put in my space stocking? I'm going to put all kinds of shit in there. Mainly smaller stockings, filled with smaller stockings, filled with smaller stockings. Filled with Corellin sweet tea, but not in a container, so it gets the stockings all wet. Ooh, that's just what I wanted. 
I know I read your Christmas list. That was the only thing on it. Ooh, thanks, holographic projection Jacob Molly. You can dissipate back into space now. I've already started, baby. So this week on the SFBCBCAD, we're discussing iRobot by Earth author Isaac Asimov. I'm your holographic projection host, Jacob Marley, and with me as always is somebody whose name I cannot remember. I have a very bad memory. Why don't you let him introduce himself? Ooh, yeah. I'm the holographic projection of the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, it's like Inception, yo. Yeah. So, what did you think about this book, Our Robot by Isaac Asimov, Holographic Projection, Ghost of Christmas Past? Also, it's very convenient that this is our SFBCPCAD Christmas episode. Well, one of the first things that I enjoyed about this book that I forgot to mention during the regular SFBCPC was how several of these robots had a neuroses when confronted with their three laws and the ways in which they dealt with said problem. For instance, one of them, in order to kill temporarily a human being, it had to develop a sexy sense of humor. Another one who could read minds loved to read fiction because it wanted to understand the human condition. Yeah. That's super sexy. Reading books makes you extra sexy when the lights are low. Yeah. One of my favorite robots who also had a similar situation was David, also known as the hand leading six different fingers. Oh, yeah. But one of the most confusing parts of the entire book was when they killed one of David's fingers when he was having a sort of breakdown. And then that fixed him. It didn't seem like cutting off somebody's fingers when there's a dangerous situation would solve anything at all. But it did. I agree. That seemed like a solution to a problem I could not understand. For instance, that was a robot who was confronted with his own sense of, ah, shit. He was so sexy. It's a real enigma wrapped in another enigma. Stuffed in a stocking, put inside of a stocking and inside of a stocking that has Corellin sweet tea inside of it. Sexy sip. And we're back. I'm going to have to look at my sexy notes. Oh, damn. Where'd you get those notes? They're so sexy. I ordered them from a sexy store. Which one was that? Sex, sex, sexy store. 
it's spelled like XXX with the X, the letter X real big, but the, the letters S and E a little smaller. Like the first one is 32 point font and the second two letters is 24 point font. Oh, yeah. Sexy callback to a previous episode. My favorite sexy website is sexyamazon.com. And we're back. Right. I believe in the chapter with the sexy robot Dave, one of the human beings suspected Dave of plotting a robot overthrow like a singularity against the human race, whereas the answer turned out to be something much simpler, which was his brain was simply overloaded when trying to control what, five or maybe six of his underlings? I think he had six sexy underlings. Oh, okay. Sexy. Anyway, I agree that it was a simplistic solution to what seemed like a complex problem. Yeah, that's the sexiest kind of solution in my opinion. You know what else I think is sexy? When somebody has two underlings, and by that I mean two legs, the sexiest number of legs. I just, that occurs to me that underlings is a real sexy name for legs because they are under your body. That's right, sexy universe. Underlings are your legs under your body. Hashtag underlings. Start using it, universe. Victoria's Secret also sells a product called Under Things. And those go between your two legs. A.K.A. right in your butt crack. Victoria's Secret 2.0. They got under things, dummy. Put them in your butt. And we're back. Sexy. I feel like there was more points that we wanted to make during this After Dark episode, and I'm sort of losing. Well, I think we're going off the rails a little bit. Jake Molly, seeing as how I'm the holographic projection of the ghost of Christmas past, perhaps if you take my hand, I will take you back to your younger self at the start of this S-F-B-C-P-C-A-D Christmas Spectacular. You didn't have to explain all that to me because I've been holding your hand the whole time, sweetheart. Ooh, sexy. Let's go. Oh, just look through that porthole window. Holographic projection, Jacob Marley. And see your younger self. I look so sexy. Oh, yeah. And that's all that I see. That's really all that I see. I'm just looking in a mirror flexing. Looking at my sexy holographic projection body. And where do you think if you continue that harsh regimen of everyday exercise and weightlifting... You'll get to be the holographic projection you are today. 
that started as a question and ended as a statement. I'm pretty sure right after I get done, I mean my younger self gets done flexing in the mirror, he's going to start practicing his sexy, smoky voice. And I already know that's exactly how he gets to be the co-host of one of the best After Dark Christmas special podcasts in, in all the galaxy. Ooh, yeah, you got that right. Now, let's go a little bit further in time. Ooh, yeah. There's your 10-minute older self starting to work on that sexy, raspy voice. Yeah, welcome back to Holographic Projection, Jacob Molly looking in the mirror podcast. I'm your sexy host, Jacob Molly. Wow, I had the perfect voice even back then. I don't think I've improved at all. Oh, look, there's a rasping at the door. Knock, knock, knock. Hi, I'm a holographic projection of the ghost of Christmas past. I host a sexy After Dark Christmas special podcast. I heard your sexy raspy voice through the door down the hallway. Would you like to join me as co-host? I would love nothing more. But before we do that, can I please put my hand in your hand so that we can go back to my earlier self before I started flexing, before I started rasping up my voice? Yes, that'd be real sexy. Let's go back to an earlier time. Oh, hey, here we are at an earlier time. Um, hey, hi, hi, I'm I'm Jacob Marley. Who are you guys? I'm your sexy future self, younger self. And I gotta tell you, you better quit pussyfooting around with that squeaky-ass voice and start rasping up that voice, boy. Otherwise, you'll get nowhere in life. I'm destined to become the host of one of the top-rated After Dark Christmas special-themed podcasts in the galaxy. And you know how you're going to get there? By eating rocks. That's how you rasp up your voice like you want it to be. Okay, um, okay just... that's, that's really weird. That seems hey, really strange. And I'm just the ghost of Christmas past. Who's that other guy, that real ugly one? I'm the sexy holographic projection of the ghost of Christmas past, which makes me your future brother. You just wait. Yeah, yeah you are. You are really weird looking. Like, if, you, if you're the sexy one, then I don't know where you went off the rails in your changing of past and future you're kind of ugly listen to me little thing have you got a sexy raspy voice we're talking podcast baby it don't matter that i look like this no no i don't have a sexy raspy voice but uh i think me and my friend the ghosts of christmas past are just gonna go uh Go look at my, my past and see if there's something I should do uh, to get this squeaky voice that I like so much. Yeah, so just, I'm going to uh, put my hand 
Okay. My hand in his hand, and we're going to go. Let's go. Hey, who are you? I'm young Jacob Marley. This is my voice that I was born with. I'm only four years old. Wow, wow, I'm a little baby of a ghost. Uh, Christmas past. Wow, I'm a baby. You are a baby. I think I want to be a baby too because it's sexy. I think I'm going to start imitating your voice pattern. Is that all right with you? Who, who are you, mister? I'm four-year-old holographic projection Jacob Molly, and I think we have a bright future together. Wow, I think we could really be friends. Wow, I'm a baby. <laughs> let me try and let me try and mimic your speech pattern. Hey, I'm I'm a baby too. I'm only a four-year-old Jacob Marley holographic projection. Wow. Hey, let's invent a podcast. Let's uh, call it. What's that? Uh, it's like radio, but from the future. Future radio. I think that's a really good idea. Okay. There should let's... also be after dark episodes where just weird bullshit happens and you guys go down like multiple time holes and nobody is having any fun anymore, but you guys are and you're laughing a lot and it's great. Hey, what if there was and by, a and by you, I mean us. What if there was a Christmas episode of the after dark after podcast special? Wow, I'm a baby. Oh my gosh. Now that I just became like a baby for the first time, kind of, because babies are all about having squeaky voices. Uh, I really like Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. Before, I didn't even believe in Santa, but now I love him. He's the best. He's going to give me the best treats ever for Christmas. Oh, it's so great. I wonder, though, uh, what it was like just uh, six months ago when I, when I was just still in vitro. Can we go? <laughs> I don't know how we're going to go. I have no time travel capacity or powers. Oh. Well, try just taking my hand. Okay. Actually, I think I see like a space pod over there. Maybe they have some time traveling equipment. Okay. Will Let's you go in there. A little baby. <laughs> yeah, of course. Just, just hop on my back, little, little baby. I'm four years old, but I am very good at moving throughout the world. Whoop. Okay, I'm on your back. All right, let's just knock on the door of this space pod. Okay. Knock, knock, knock. I just said knock, but you actually knocked. You're so smart because you're four years old. No, I think you pressed the doorbell, and it uh, that was just the sound that it made. That seems strange. I know. It's very confusing technology. All right, let's, is somebody going to come to the door? Uh, who, who, who are you guys? I'm, I'm John Love, holographic projection host of... The science, co-host of the Science Fiction Book Club pad, podcast. John, who the hell are you talking to out there? Uh, I, I'm talking to some guy who looks a little bit like me, but uh, is a baby and is a holographic projection, and an even younger baby that's a that looks like a holographic projection of a ghost. Hey, I'm a little baby, and I'm a slightly I'm like a toddler, I guess. Tell him to get the hell we, out. We just want to learn about podcasting, misters, and uh, this is a pod. And uh, so in my mind, I kind of cast uh, the role of podcast venue in my mind. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're thinking about starting up a podcast. Do you guys know anything about it? John, are they trying to steal our trade secrets? 
I don't know. Um, are you guys trying to steal our trade secrets? Yeah, um, no. <laughs> I'm like a four-year-old toddler, and uh, I actually think that I have some notes that I could give you guys to help your podcast really get off the ground because uh, I'm pretty sure like, I have feelings that in my future I'm going to be a good podcaster, so we'll tell you guys all of our secrets. John, are these guys producers? Yep. Um, maybe. Are are you guys producers or are you just babies? Well, I'm just a little baby. Yeah, I'm just like a four-year-old toddler, but uh, I just opened a, I started a company like last week with some of my friends. It's called Baby Producers and we produce, we do we produce podcasts and all sorts of stuff. Well, let's make a deal. <laughs> and so they did. Freeze frame. And podcast. Slap. And so they did. And podcast history and Christmas and After Duck and raspy voices were never the same again. And that's been the story of how Christmas was saved and podcasts invented. Merry Christmas. And we never saw Susan Calvin again. She died last month. At the age of 82. That about wraps it up. Ooh, yeah. I'm your holographic projection host, Jacob Marley. Sexy Jacob Marley, holographic projection. And with me as always, holographic projection, ghost of Christmas past. Signing yeah, out. baby. Good night. Stay sexy, galaxy. Ooh, yeah. Sat on their park bench like bookends A newspaper blown through the grass Falls on the round toes Of the high shoes of the old friends Old friends Winter companions, the old men Lost in their overcoats Waiting for the sunset The sounds of the city Sifting through trees Settle like dust On the shoulders Of the old friends Can you imagine us Years from today Sharing a Quietly, how terribly strange to be seventeen. Memory brushes the same silently sharing the same
was and what a time it was, it was a time of innocence, a time of confidences. Long ago it must be, I have a photograph, preserve your memories, they're all that's left. 